Good evening. Welcome to another segment of Broadcast and Politics with Cisco Acosta. Tonight we have a fantastic, extraordinary show. We have Jason Clark, chairman of the San Francisco Republican Party, vice chairman of the California Republican Party, um, and Bay Area Regional Vice Chairman for the California Republican Party, a lifelong Republican. Jason has been active in Republican politics for nearly 15 years. And prior to that, uh, he, uh, to his election as chairman, Jason served as the first vice chair for the San Francisco Republican Party. And he's been involved in politics. And um, Mr. Clark is a practicing attorney. So he'll be coming on a little, in a couple of minutes. Well, good to be back again another week. Uh, this whole situation with uh, the Democrats and William Barr and Bob Mueller, they cannot give it up. What is wrong with them? They're not taking their medicine, their meds. They're basically trouble individuals, the Democratic Party. Very trouble. So, but I think I think William Barr uh, did what I would have done. He basically they came at him and he gave it right back to them. And you know, and and that's what more people have to do, especially the Republicans. They cannot sit back and just take it. They got to dish it out because the Democrats they don't like competition. They basically. You know, they want to be the bullies. They want to be the bullies. And I think William Barr did a, a great job of basically telling them, you know what? You're not going to bully me. I mean, you have to report. The report from Bob Mueller said no collusion, no obstruction by the Trump administration and Donald Trump. I mean, this is... I mean, this is totally ridiculous. They spent two years basically going after President Trump for this, which came back and slapped them in their face because it showed them that there was no collusion. The real collusion, again, and I I hope Mr. Barr, and I'm hoping, I mean, I'm hoping that he does go after Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Obama, and the rest of the Democrats. Because that's where you're going to find the real collusion and obstruction. You know, and I, I just think that, that, you know, when people out there say there's no, no one is above the law, bullshit. The Clintons are above the law. The Obamas are above the law. The Democrats are above the law, okay? Because if they were not above the law, they would be in Gitmo or they would be in prison. But they're not. They're still making money and they're still colluding. So I I just think that Mr. Barr has to really, really go after them. So uh, I'm hoping that that happens. On the other hand, we're looking at this whole situation in Venezuela. Venezuela's situation is just erupting because people have had enough of socialism. Now, they, they, the people who voted for socialism, they're paying the price today. And we in the United States cannot afford, the people of the United States cannot afford to do what the people in Venezuela did several years ago and give up their weapons and their guns to the government. Because the way today, what's happening in Caracas and in other parts of other cities in Venezuela is what would happen here if no one had weapons. Because the Venezuelan people made that horrendous mistake of giving up so, uh, yes, the Venezuela 
issue is erupting. Let me just call Mr. Clark right now and see what Mr. Clark um, has to say in regards to what's happening in, Cal- in California. Hi, this is Jason. Jason, how are you? Good evening. This- I'm well. How are you? Oh, we're doing well. I just did my little brief monologue, you know, in regards to what's happening in Washington with William Barr and the um, and the Democratic Party um, mm-hmm. and what's the, the whole thing with collusion. But uh, I know that um, it's very sad. I mean, to me, I find it amusing that after the report that was given by Robert Mueller, the Democrats continue to hang on to this collusion and obstruction. Typical of them, but anyway, I just, well, I'm ranting. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's very typical. Democrats are so upset that they're not able to frame Donald Trump for this supposed collusion, so they are trying every which way to uh, to take him out. Right, and I think I think also one of the things that I came to the conclusion was that they're pri- trying to set up, uh, put William Barr out there to be someone who cannot be trusted. Because mm-hmm. I think I think Mr. Barr is going to go after Hillary and Obama because the real collusion is with Hillary and Obama during the uh, the time the eight years that that. They were together, so. Oh yeah. But any. Oh yeah. <laughs> but anyway, California is the topic of the day, and basically, we are we have the uh, someone who's very very knowledgeable about California politics and the GOP, and welcome. Can you just brief, briefly give us a brief description of? Who you are and what you've been doing and and and, and what's the uh, the role that uh, where do you want to see California in, in five years six years from now? <laughs> well, <laughs> the question the answer to that question is easy. I'd like to see California with a Republican governor and a Republican legislature. Uh-huh. Whether or not we can get there uh, is another question altogether. Um, right. But by way of introduction, I'm Jason Clark. I'm the chairman of the San Francisco Republican Party. I'm elected by the 32,000 Republicans who live in the city and county of San Francisco uh, to represent them, to help recruit their candidates, uh, to help them analyze ballot measures and do voter outreach uh, within our city and county. And in addition to that, I'm also an elected member of the California Republican Party Board. I'm the Bay Area Regional Vice Chair, and I represent uh, the six counties that are in the California Republican Party's Bay Area region, representing about half a million Republicans statewide. Have you noticed a drop-off in Republican voters? over the past six years? Because I know there's been an exodus. There's been an exodus of, uh, of individuals moving away from California. And, and my perception mm-hmm. might, might be that they're Republicans. Or am I wrong in saying that they're Republicans? Well, there's a couple of things that I think have driven our, uh, our decline. Uh, one of them is the fact that middle-class Americans middle-class Californians are leaving the state in droves. We've had over 200,000 leave in the last decade, and they're moving to states like Arizona, Texas, Colorado, Washington, Mm -hmm. even Oregon and Nevada. So you have a number, a huge, you know, number of Republicans who have left the state. Um, Also, we're graying a bit as a party. So you see uh, older people tend to skew more conservative and as the white population gets older, uh, you have some people who um, who die, and that also decreases our numbers here. Got it. Now, how about in regards to the Republican Party in California uh, investing 
and targeting the different communities, the Hispanic community, the Asian community, which is uh, pretty large in, in California. The times mm-hmm. that I've been to California, the enormous, enormous number of, 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 of the Asian community. Um, what's the, what, what has been the get-out-the-vote drive to target those uh, communities? Well, our, our past chair, Jim Brulte, uh, who stepped down um, just this past uh, convention, he was always talking about making sure that we reached out to uh, the various different communities in California. Um, as you said, California is, is a huge mixing bowl. Um, we have, I think, 12% of our population now is Asian American. It's one of the highest in, uh, in all of the 50 states. Uh, hmm. Over 30% of our population is Latino. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, Senator Brulte always said, you know, if we want to compete to win, we need to run candidates who look, act, and sound like the people in each of the districts that they're going to represent. And one of the great things that we did is, is we just recently elected a new state party chair, Jessica Patterson, and she's, she's our first female chair. She's our first Latina chair Um, and she's made it a priority actually to go out and make sure that we recruit in these communities now the backstory the story that you don't hear in the media is is that actually a majority of elected officials in california are republicans now the reason why people might find this hard to believe is is that the majority of people I'm talking about, they're all local elected officials, people who serve on school boards, on college boards, city councils, uh, boards of supervisors for the the counties. We don't have a lot of people at the state level, like the legislature and then state executive office. So in that regards, from the state top down, we're, we're a very blue state. But going back to our elected officials, these local affected elected officials are in large part minority. A lot of Asian Americans, a lot of Latinos, African Americans. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge amount of diversity, actually, uh, ethnic diversity, if you will, in the California Republican Party. Uh, And this is our bench team. And if you noticed in the last uh, election cycle, uh, we had a record number of Asian American females running for elected office a record number of Latinos, all as Republicans. So we have been doing a lot of outreach. We could always do more, but what I think we do poorly in is the messaging of it. Democrats are the party of identity politics. So they're always going to tell you, oh, they're going to give themselves a gold star for how many African-Americans, how many Latinos, how many Asian-Americans they've run. Republicans say, we want you to look beyond our skin color Right. We want you to listen to our ideology. So they're not going to go out and say, I'm the first Korean American to run for Congress. They're going to say, I'm here to represent you in Congress because I believe in these ideas. Which should be the, the, the right reason to be running and, 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 mm-hmm. and move away from the, uh, the identity politics that the Democrats, you're absolutely correct about. Um, in regards to... You know, we we had the election of Gavin Newsom over John Cox. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Why did you? Why was Mr. Cox not able to defeat Gavin Newsom, especially especially with the track record that Gavin Newsom had as the I think the San Francisco mayor, uh, mm-hmm. and and in the time that he's been in politics. He has not, in my opinion, been successful, but he got he got elected. I mean, I have some I have a perception of why he he won, but I would like to hear from you since you're the chairman of the San Francisco Republican Vice Chairman of the California Republican Party. Why did Mr. Cox not uh, beat out uh, Gavin Newsom? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons and a couple of of things we can analyze. But first, a disclaimer, uh, I helped work on the Cox campaign and uh, John is, is a friend of mine. I think he was a fantastic candidate. 
Um, and mm. John actually got nearly 40% of the vote. And in a state where, you know, people are always saying, oh, there are no Republicans in the state, uh, 40% of the vote is actually a large number of votes. It doesn't get us to winning, though. And that's, of course, one of the things that we're talking about uh, on the state party level. But going back to Gavin, Gavin started out as a supervisor here in San Francisco, a San Francisco City and County Supervisor and then became mayor and then, uh, you know, launched his career uh, with Getty Oil Money mostly uh, to become lieutenant governor. Uh, Gavin uh, amassed a gigantic war chest. Um, The Democrats have a huge fundraising advantage here because of their government union ties. And the government unions take our taxpayer dollars and they Mm -hmm. give them to their unions for political activities. Uh, that's one way the Republicans here are outmatched. Number two, John had a difficult time uh, raising as much money as Gavin did because a lot of wealthy Republicans here are leaving the state. They have given up on us. And that's an unfortunate thing. And as, as a party member, as an activist and a board member, it concerns me that people just give up and leave. Uh, Howard Dean, who was chair of the DNC for many years, told the Democrats they need to run a 50-state strategy, meaning, you know, in states like North Dakota, where Democrats traditionally lose, they still needed to run competitive races. And that strategy got Obama elected. The same thing needs to happen in California. We have 58 counties. We need to run a 58-county strategy, and that includes making sure that everybody pitches in, whether it's volunteers or money. Um, But going back to John Cox, a lot of our wealthy donors said, you know what, California is a lost cause, or we're moving away. So that that also factored into it. And then I think lastly, you had the effect of ballot harvesting, which I don't Mm -hmm. think it gave Gavin the necessary winning uh, percentage Uh, but it definitely tipped a lot of congressional races in Orange County. And, you know, ballot harvesting, I think, is a very pernicious sort of development that has happened in our democracy. And a lot of states, especially ones with Democrat majorities, are passing ballot harvesting laws so that they can maintain power. And so uh, all of these factors combined together, I think, helped contribute to um, to John Cox's loss. I think he ran a great campaign compared to some of the other candidates we've had. He made a very strong effort of engaging the party and the party grassroots and uh, getting people behind him. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's excellent points. I mean, I, I think um, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think one of the biggest factors that's happening in not just California, uh, I'm from New York, in New York, New Jersey, and a lot of the blue states, a lot of the very wealthy uh, Republicans, they're just leaving and, and going to basically red states or conservative states um, because they just don't feel that the, the state has a chance, has a chance to come back to, to its roots and to regain right. that, that that momentum. So that's uh, that's uh, excellent. Now, in regards to Gavin Newsom, um, one of the first things that I think uh, Gavin was mentioning was basically we're going to raise the taxes, the gas, the highway fund, you know, all that money. And I've been to California quite a few times. I mean, the the, the highways are pretty pretty not pretty. They're like nasty. dirt roads. Yeah, they're like dirt roads. There are better and, roads in Mexico, and Mexico is, in theory, a third-world country. Mexico has way better roads than California. California, exactly. So, uh, but, but on the other hand, you know, the, the, the money that's coming in into the Treasury in California is going to pay for you know, uh, illegal driver's, uh, driver's license for illegal aliens. And... Mm-hmm. A whole set of, of, you know, investments into the environment, you know, the global warming uh, uh, mm-hmm. a scam. Instead of focusing on Californians, you know, because uh, 
we're going to touch on it, the homeless crisis in California. Every time I've been to California, to, be, to Sacramento, to San Jose, to San Francisco, mm-hmm. I mean, it's incredibly, incredibly depressing. I mean, California, I mean, when I went there for the first time, such a beautiful, beautiful state, and it's mm-hmm. crumbled over the years. So uh, getting, getting back to Gavin Newsom, my question to you is, does he have a chance to be reelected again with the type of leadership that he's already shown that it's not really for the people in California? Well, again, uh, you know, I, I could, I could, you know, we could talk for hours about the, the lack of leadership that Gavin has shown on so many initiatives. Uh, the fact that he, Sort of, he likes to talk out of one side of his mouth uh, on a number of issues, like the high-speed uh, train that we're building that is now going to go absolutely nowhere. Uh, the gas tax that he was very much in support of, that now he wants to take that money and use it for green energy initiatives yes. instead of fixing the roads, which, by the way, uh, poor road conditions are a leading contributor to greenhouse gases. So if mm-hmm. you care about global warming, then you should also care about fixing our roads because that leads to, uh, to more greenhouse gases being released, among other things. Right. Um, the, uh, I mean, they wanted to, uh, under him, the Democrats wanted to pass a text message tax. Uh, they're, they're talking about a water tax. I mean, we have this huge surplus. We have a $13 billion state surplus. We could use that to invest in our infrastructure right now, water and uh, transportation. But instead of dipping into that, he wants to create a recurring revenue stream. And probably it's because there are political jobs that he can create with this revenue stream and fund. Right, right. He he wants to he wants to uh, he wants to imitate uh, Jerry Brown and wants to be just created a legacy like Jerry Brown, even though Jerry Brown's legacy is not the best legacy out there, but um, I think that's what Jerry Brown also has a very long history in, uh, in politics. And I, Jerry, I don't agree with Jerry on a lot of issues, but I think his legacy is fairly there. He was a public servant. Uh, He did a number of initiatives. Some were good, some not so good. Uh, but Gavin Newsom doesn't have a legacy except disaster right now. Uh, he, when he ran San Francisco, it was very clear that all he cared about was himself, and he left the city in shambles economically and administratively. Um, you know, there's a lot of corruption that goes on in the government in San Francisco here, and he not only played for that team, but he helped perpetuate it. And, uh, you know, that's going to be one of his biggest legacies, corruption and, and, and crushing debt. Right. Right, crushing debt. Um, again, uh, when I was in Sacramento, um, I, I would say about a couple of blocks away from the governor's mansion, mm-hmm. there's a tent, tent city. I mean, yep. They're all over. I mean, I mean, Jerry Brown had to notice that. Gavin Newsom has 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 had to notice that. But it seems like they don't really care for the traditional American, uh, the American people who are, are are unable to live in California, and they have to resort to living on the streets. There's definitely a homeless crisis going on, and our leaders, mostly Democrats, including Gavin, have not addressed it. Uh, Part of it is a mental health crisis. Uh, The other part of it, too, what I think has possibly uh, resulted in this increase is we passed a proposition, Prop 47. It was a Mm -hmm. criminal justice reform initiative, and a lot of low-level offenders who had been incarcerated under our three strikes law were released from prison. And when you have a lengthy rap sheet, no one wants to hire you. No one really wants to be around you, even your family. And so a lot of these people 
are now subjected to poverty and they live under bridges and they live in communities mm-hmm. or what they've also done is that some of them learned how to be better criminals in jail and are now right. contributing to our record number of car break-ins, burglaries, and, and other items like that. Um, so I think that there's some of that going on. But, I mean, here in San Francisco, we, we spend now $600 million every year on our homeless. And allegedly the number of homeless people here is around fifteen or 18,000. Right. I would venture to guess it's more closer to 30,000. But we spend more on homeless uh, outreach and homeless assistance than we do on police and fire services combined. And over a 10-year period, that's $6 billion, and that has gotten us more people on the streets, more dependency, and uh, more problems. So obviously what's going on is – we're just throwing money at the problem. We're not actually trying to invest in solutions. And the Democrats led by Gavin here in San Francisco and now as governor have failed to address the problem. Uh, And most of the time when they do suggest the solution, San Francisco's solution was to tax businesses to create another $300 million a year to throw out the problem and to provide what they call safe injection sites where uh, homeless people are given free drugs in a safe place to inject themselves with drugs. Right. Now, I'm a little old-fashioned maybe, but I'm told if you have a problem with, like, alcoholism, we don't give you more alcohol. We take you to <laughs> a halfway house or to an alcohol right. rehab place. Right. The same thing goes with drugs. Uh, you know, even, you know, I'm, I'm a, not a softie on, on drug crime, but even if you are a bleeding-heart liberal on drug crime, you understand the need – is to put these people in treatment, not to give them more drugs. Right. So uh, it's just, it's shocking here to us. And uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, our neighborhoods are coalescing around is uh, our initiatives to stop the safe injection nonsense. Well, we have, we have a text from a Californian, um, Anita, she says, free pooping in our streets. We have a, a pooping scooping department in San Francisco. Uh, when did that come about? I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, when she says, when, when did that come about in the sense that being sarcastic? I mean, how did that happen? I mean, overnight, because Cal- uh, San Francisco and California was not like that. A free pooping scooping department? Uh, we have a public works department. We don't have a, an actual pooper scoop department. Um, okay. On the on the problem of, of, of feces, um, yeah, this has been a recurring problem since we've had a large homeless population, and the city actually decades ago installed uh, these uh, restrooms, uh, these fancy looking French style restrooms on the on the streets, and I think there's a French company who actually manages them and. What you do is you slip in a coin, and then it'll the restroom will open up, and you can use it for like ten minutes, and then uh, then you can leave. And the idea is is it provides a place for people to use the restroom. Well, the homeless have taken over these restrooms, and they use them as places to do drugs or to sleep in at night. Uh, many right. of the restrooms are unclean, and just the sheer number of people who are on our streets means that these restrooms are easily overwhelmed. Uh, we do have an app now. There's an app that uh, that tracks where if you see, you know, human feces on the street, you can press a button and it will map it. And you can see there's a there's an app that traps that tracks all the poop in San Francisco. Wow. I don't think there's actually more poop than there has been before. I just think that people are now able to record it a lot more easily. Uh, right. I haven't seen a noticeable decline, but I haven't also seen a noticeable increase in my time here. But That's not to say it's not a problem. I mean, I wander around Europe and I don't see human feces in the street. I don't see that in Mexico. I don't see that in in South Africa. South Africa, a very poor country in a lot of the townships there. there, People were not pooping on on the street there in South Africa. So it's, it's a disgraceful thing here in San Francisco. 
I mean, San Francisco, I mean, when I went as a kid, such beautiful. I mean, that right there on, on Pier 38, going to Alcatraz and, and taking those trips and and being on um, Fisherman's Wharf. And I mean, it's, I mean, I fell in love with, with, with the city of San Francisco. I mean, I, I grew up watching um, uh, the streets of San Francisco as a kid. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's a great city to see to see that how how it's crumbled uh, and and the conditions that it's really sad, especially because it's a great city. Um, so California became a sanctuary state. Um, mm-hmm. And for our listeners, I know there's still a lot of misunderstanding. Why would a state become a sanctuary city? And I always tell them it always boils down to one thing, money. They get financial, I mean, they get federal funding. If, if you declare yourself a state, a sanctuary state or a sanctuary city. Um, so my question to you, um, Jason, is in regards to, especially after incidents like the, the death or the killing of Kate Steinman in, right, mm-hmm. right there in San Francisco, yeah. Why? I mean, California became a sanctuary city, a state, for what reasons? For what opinion? reason? Yeah. Well, I think mm-hmm. it's because the Democrats want to secure Latino votes. Um, okay. The estimates range that between 5 and 10% of California's population have no papers. So that means between okay. 2 and 4 million people have no papers, which means that if you're Latino, you either have a friend or a relative who is undocumented. And so it becomes an issue then when your friends are subject to deportation. Uh, It becomes, and it's a very emotional issue. Now, uh, it's still a big problem. I I talked to people, uh, I was traveling in Ireland about two years ago and um, one of the ladies I stayed with, she uh, she loved Bill Clinton. She had a big picture of him up on her wall. Uh, she's very <laughs> Irish, and she said, oh, yeah, you know, Donald Trump hates immigrants. And when I told her that there were more people in California without papers than there were in all of the Republic of Ireland, she gasped. And she said, that can't be true. And I said, <laughs> no, it is true. And so when you, when you tell people the fact, the Europeans think that we're absolutely crazy in France. Uh, in the restaurants, every week the authorities come by and check people's papers to make sure that they are legally entitled to work in France. When I told the French when I visited France, when I said, oh, that's been made virtually illegal in California, they looked at me and they said, well, why would you ever do that? That makes no sense at all. Um, And here in California, again, it, it, it makes no sense. It's about votes. It's about money. And what the Democrats have done is, is they have basically created an open border policy in California and it makes us unsafe and it is mm-hmm. impoverishing our state slowly but surely. Well, we had, we had the, uh, the killing this year also of the young lady in San Jose, California, where she was killed, brutally killed, stabbed by an illegal alien, uh, mm-hmm. And and uh, for for the first time, and correct me if I'm wrong, law enforcement in in, San, in California came out against the sanctuary policies of the state, which I think was about time that they would come out and, and, and protest. But again, the number of killings that have happened mm-hmm. by illegal aliens, it's basically not just in California, but throughout the whole country. It's just out of control. It is. And actually, uh, studies have shown that a huge percentage of people who are incarcerated in California are here illegally. And so, you know, it's not just a crime issue. It's, you know, like going back to the the financial issue. We're paying to house these people in jail. And uh, thankfully, most of the time, we, uh, we turn them over for deportation. But You know, here in San Francisco, what I find as a lawyer and as a citizen most astounding is that 
if I have a long rap sheet for various crimes like murder or robbery or rape or assault, uh, I'll get arrested and I will stay in jail until my trial. Uh, However, if I'm undocumented, if I'm here illegally, in order to avoid uh, being put in the deportation queue, San Francisco will release me. And that's what happened with with Kate Steinle's murder. He was released because they were afraid he was going to be deported. And while I don't think he actually intended to kill Kate, uh, he had a stolen gun and his mental situation, his mental capacity was not there. Um, The fact is is that he had a stolen gun. He was playing with it and he was shooting around. He was shooting birds on a public pier. And one of the bullets ricocheted off the ground and hit Kate in the back and killed her. Uh, The fact that he was even allowed to be on the streets, allowed to be in a situation where he could get a stolen gun is unconscionable. And her death, her murder, her blood is on, on the hands of the Democrats in the state who have perpetuated these policies. Right, right. And so especially he, he was deported, I believe, five times. Yeah, and he came back. And, he kept coming back. It's, it's a revolving door. It's a I mean, revolving I just door. I don't understand. I don't understand. Like, why even have a border then? Um, and you know, this goes to the fact that if we don't have a border, I mean, the state would change dramatically. We'd have people from all over the world flooding in. We'd have 70 million people in California overnight. And it's just, just, it's not sustainable. Well, the thing, the thing also, Jason, is that, that when Donald Trump came came about and said, said to uh, Nancy Pelosi and a lot of the Hollywood folks, you know, we're going to send them to you they said, not in my backyard. So that shows the hypocrisy with the California Democrats. They basically are pushing an agenda, but when the agenda is being pushed on them in their backyard, they're saying, no way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, I think that, I think that the California uh, Republicans need to use, you know, basically just like William Barr. I mean, I love the, you know, the hearings, because William Barr basically said, well, you know, you're going to attack me. I'm going to attack you right back. I think California uh, uh, Republicans need to really give it to right back to the Democrats. And that's something that I've always mm-hmm. felt that the Republican Party doesn't stand up against the Democrats. For You know, I mean, I ran for I ran for office and, and when I ran for office. Mm-hmm. Right here back in the East Coast, I I I, I didn't stay quiet. I, I went after my opponent because that's what the Republicans have to do. And one of the great things about having Jessica as our state party chair, she every week she puts out a press release. Uh, she just uh, attack uh, not attack, but she put out an email uh, calling Gavin Newsom out for you know, his first hundred days in office where he had done basically nothing. He, she put out a press release when he went on vacation to El Salvador and said, instead of focusing on El Salvador, maybe you should focus on the 40 million people here in California who are suffering from, uh, from, you know, poverty, high taxes and, and, and other issues. So she has made it a point. She's made it uh, a concerted effort to go after him. Uh, the media, doesn't always pick up on it. And part of it is the media is lazy. Um, the other part is the media just, they are very much in the pockets of Democrats. I mean, especially here in, um, in San Francisco. And so sometimes getting the message out means more than just getting the message out. It means we got to pound on, on the media's doors to say, Hey, you need to cover, you need to actually do your job and cover cover the other side of the story. No, I, 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 I love that. I mean, I, I think that that's, that's a great story. And I think Jessica, it's definitely um, in the Republican party. If they continue to do that, I think it's going to really bring out a lot of those independents out there that are in California voting Republican 
because we need to have individuals. That's the reason they, they, they dislike and despise Donald Trump, because Donald Trump basically is a New Yorker, just like I am. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't stay shut. We're, we're, you're, you attack us, we're going to attack you. And, and I think that that's one, one of the reasons they, they despise uh, Donald Trump. Um, I, know, I know you have to go soon, but I want to touch on the last thing. Um, and I think we briefly touched on it earlier uh, before the show in regards to the new California that I keep mm-hmm. hearing about. A lot of our members, a lot of my listeners, they, they basically, uh, especially in Northern California, uh, they, they're basically looking at the new California, making sh- they want to basically, uh, there's been a movement of maybe succeeding from, from, from the rest of California. Um, what's your take on it? How much do you do you think it's it's, 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 it's something that the Republican Party needs to really uh, focus and look into it? So you're talking about a group that wants to secede from California and form their own state. Um, yeah, so, it's called the new the new California. Okay, yeah, the the new California movement. I, I've heard of them, and uh, they sound a lot to me like the state of Jefferson. Um, so for those those people who are not familiar with the state of Jefferson, in the far northern part of California, in uh, I forgot the name of the river. I think it's the Klamath River Basin up there. It includes mm-hmm. southern Oregon and the far northern part of California. And there's been a secessionist movement among those people for decades. And actually, they were going to hold a convention uh, to secede from California on December 7th, 1941. Uh, but mm. given what happened on that date, uh, the convention never happened, and the movement kind of sputtered. Um, the idea of splitting California into states isn't new. Uh, someone put it on the ballot, or they tried to put it on the ballot to get California split into six states. Uh, he managed to get something qualified for the ballot for three states. Uh, the state Supreme Court said that the ballot measure was in and of itself unconstitutional. Uh, while we like to talk about splitting up California, <clears throat> there's a lot of disagreement on how we would do that. Uh, people up in far northern California think that I live in southern California. They think that San Francisco is in southern California. Uh, which is funny because San Francisco considers itself to be the heart of Northern California. Uh, right. People in San, San Francisco tell me San Jose is in Southern California, and I'm pretty sure San Jose is in Northern California. But <laughs> in, in reality, this idea that, oh, yeah, we're going to secede, we're going to create a new state, it, it just it doesn't have popular support, and it really, really doesn't make any sense. Um, you could try to carve out a, a Republican state, if you will, but I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. I think California is worth fighting for, and we have nearly 5 million Republicans here in California. That right. is almost the largest uh, Republican party in the country. It's possible that Texas's might be larger, but uh, I don't think they know the actual size because they don't register people by party in Texas. Uh, mm-hmm. So... You know, this is a, we're a big state, and we pull a lot of weight. And when Republicans get out and we get motivated, we can win. And when we can win in California, we can affect policy and issues nationwide. Splitting us up is just going to turn us into a small state with little influence. So uh, I don't think this movement is going to go anywhere. I don't think it has really any support. I think it's just a bunch right. of people who who would rather complain than actually do something real, um, real about the issue. Cause I think one of, one of the, one of, one of the things that I keep hearing is that basically the, the areas that they, they would, they would move, would keep democratically, uh, or belong to the Democrats are, would be the major cities, the, the, you know, LA, uh, San mm-hmm. Diego, uh, San Francisco, San Jose were, and then, Areas where basically it's more Republican, that would be the new California. Have you heard that? Well, yeah, I haven't. I've seen some of the maps. They put Orange County, which has a huge population of Republicans in this Democrat state. They put San Diego, which has a Republican mayor and a Republican city council and a Republican 
county board of supervisors in this Democrat state. Uh, and they would put the 500,000 Republicans in the Bay Area in this Democrat state. Uh, I really think that it just doesn't make sense to divide up the state that way. Uh, geographically, San Diego has nothing in common with San Jose, except that we all live in California. Uh, and San Francisco has nothing in common with Ventura. I mean, I, I live here. I have a lot of criticism of our government here, but I love San Francisco. But sticking us in a state with Ventura and then kicking out Sacramento and Lake Tahoe and Yosemite just doesn't seem to me very sustainable. Definitely, definitely. And like you said, San Francisco is a great, great city. I mean, the view, I mean, the Golden Gate, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's it's just, to me, it's like living in New York also. Now, the, the, the one thing that I have to say about times that I was in San Francisco, I mean, it is so expensive to live yes. in San Francisco, just like it's yes. expensive to live in. In, in New York City, I mean, it's, I mean, mm-hmm. a little studio, I mean, $3,000. I mean, how, how could people afford to live in the city of San Francisco? It's, 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 it's a statewide problem. Uh, Gavin has addressed it. Uh, he has this plan, he thinks, to build 2 million units of housing statewide. Given his uh, housing policies that have actually led to less housing being built, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, we have a in San Francisco, we have the uh, unique position of being kind of near the heart of the Silicon Valley, uh, but we're also very limited in area. I mean, we're only seven miles wide by seven miles long because we're on a peninsula surrounded by water, so there's not a lot of space to build, and we're actually. Uh, I think there's there's nearly 20,000 people per square mile that live in San Francisco. Um, not as dense as Manhattan, uh, not as dense <laughs> as some areas in New Jersey, but it's still fairly Ooh. dense. Um, right. Our our housing issues have often been been blamed, I think, on the tech bubble, but you know, uh, tech millionaires are are not buying the same houses as a lot of middle class people here are. They're buying higher-end properties. The problem is, is we have things like rent control in San Francisco, which discourages people from building new rental property and discourages right. landlords from renting out existing units or for our investing in units. We also had for a time uh, an issue that was sort of out of our control is, is we had an emerging middle class in China, and they were investing in real estate in California because – Number one, there's a lot of Asian Americans here. But number two, it was a safe place to park their money. Um, right. And in China, there's, it's not a, a transparent real estate market. So uh, overseas investors from Asia, and this was also people in South Korea, they, they bought up a lot of property in, in Los Angeles. They, uh, they made up something like 25 to 30% of new home purchases. And these were people that would buy a house here, but they would never live here because they lived in China and they would leave the property vacant. And so a lot of people who would be able to afford to rent uh, or to buy property suddenly couldn't buy property because it was purchased cash over asking price. They were pushed out of the market, and then they were pushed into the rental market, and that caused rental prices to go up. Uh, The Democrats here have responded to that by saying, let's use public money to build housing. Uh, It costs nearly $8 million to build one single unit of public housing here in San Francisco. Um, They've increased restrictions on rental units so that rent control has been expanded now, and it's even harder for landlords to turn over old units or to make them available. Uh, What we need to do in California, I think it's healthy to have overseas investment, but we really need to build more housing, and part of that means that we need to actually focus on giving people incentive to build housing. And when it costs over a million dollars to build a new unit of housing, it doesn't pencil out. It just doesn't. Well, you know, New York City, where I was born and raised, I mean, it's basically, uh, it had the same policies with the rent control. Mm-hmm. And, and, and slowly but surely, rent control started to be eliminated. And that has also created... Uh, an, an issue with home, homelessness 
in the city. I mean, throughout, and I and I and I lived in, right in the heart of the city in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So it's basically the same scenario. But uh, I I I just hope that you know that San Francisco uh, turns around in regards to um, in California turns around in regards to the whole situation with homelessness and 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 and, and, and continues to be. The, the beautiful state that I that I got to see when I was young. Yeah, well, so, it, it requires a shift in policy and strategy, and and we're fighting for that, and uh, we need everyone's help in order to fight for that, or else California will be um, it'll be too late. Definitely. Before you leave, uh, can you give us your the, the website for the Republican Party and, and any other uh, websites that uh, our listeners can can click and know and get to know more about the California Republican Party? Sure. So the California Republican Party is www.cagop.org. Uh, mm-hmm. And that'll take you to the state party site. Uh, if you want to look at the San Francisco Republican Party, we have our own website, www.sfgop.org. And you can learn about the things that we do in San Francisco and if you happen to live in San Francisco, we'd love for you to come and sign up to volunteer, to donate, or to help us fight the good fight. Because, as I always say, you know, if we fight the, the Democrats here in San Francisco, they'll have to defend their beliefs here instead of going to Sacramento and fighting against people across the state and fighting against Donald Trump in Washington, because that's what they've used San Francisco as a platform to do that. Oh, they have, especially... especially uh... Nancy Pelosi and her and her cronies and Maxine Waters. Well, mm-hmm. Jason, again, thank you for taking time to come on my program, and I I wish you the very best. And um, I know you are going to uh, be very influential in regards to uh, leading the Republican Party in California to um, to have a, a historic comeback. Yes, well, we're looking forward to retaking California. Um, but thank you very much for, for uh, uh, talking with me today. I appreciate it. So you're welcome. And have a great, great evening. You too. All right. So that was uh, Jason Clark, chairman of the San Francisco Republican Party and also the Bay Area Regional Vice Chairman for the California Republican Party on the air. So we're going to continue um, right now and hit on the, the topic of uh, Venezuela, you know, which is basically I, I briefly covered it. But I think the whole situation with uh, President Maduro in Venezuela is that he needs to go and he needs to go quickly. The Venezuelan people are suffering from his regime that has basically constrained their freedom at at all levels. And I think the whole world, predominantly the whole world, is in favor of Maduro leaving Venezuela. But as most communist socialist dictators, they don't want to leave a country they control and and I think again I think I briefly touched it on on my monologue uh, several years ago. Venezuela, the Venezuelan people gave up their weapons to the Venezuelan government, especially when when uh, President Chavez was there, and then when he died, then Maduro took over. That that whole process has impacted Venezuelans, and uh, as a matter of fact. So many Venezuelans have left the country because they could not deal and tolerate the conditions, the living conditions that they're going through. And I think President Trump and his administration are doing exactly the same, doing the the right thing, putting pressure on Maduro because this cannot continue. Now, even now with Russia and China, being so influential in how Venezuela, the future of Venezuela is controlled by the Russians and the Chinese that have invested so much money for Venezuelan uh, petroleum. 
um, which basically they control right now, especially like a company like Citgo, which we have here in the U.S., it's, everyone thinks that it's still controlled by the Venezuelans. It's not. It's controlled by the Russians. And the Chinese uh, have their hands in there. So I think policy towards Venezuela, has the pressure has to continue. Otherwise, um, we will continue to see a history, just like it happened in Cuba with Fidel Castro and the Castro brothers, that has really never terminated, even though Fidel Castro passed away. We still have uh, a communist dictatorship um, running Cuba, and we cannot have in the Americas another dictatorship, you know, economically, economically it's, it's hurting uh, Venezuela because right now Maduro is not allowing aid to come into the country and it's basically constraining again the Venezuelan people from doing anything. They're starving. They're starving. But on, on another issue uh, in regards to um, what's happening around the world, um, which I usually tend to do at, towards the end of the program, uh, the European Union, the European Union, I was in Europe last year for my cousin's wedding in Holland, and this whole thing with uh, uh, the European Union in the Brexit, exiting from uh, the, the British, exiting from the European Union, has really, it's, they've become the laughing stock of, of, of the world. I mean, Theresa May has basically, uh, you know, she has lost control of her party, has lost control of the whole process. And, and, and who's suffering? The British people. The British people are suffering because there's so, so much uncertainty with the market in Europe. So I, I, I believe strongly that we need to uh, make sure that, that Theresa May is allowed, convincing her that it's good for Britain to exit out of that dictatorship which is called the European Union. They need to, to, to uh, exit. And I think if that happens, uh, that's going to really, really have an impact on a global scale, totally global scale. So, um, yes. Um, anyway, next week we're, we're having another really good guest on, uh, on the program. That'll be a surprise. Another issue that I want to touch on is this whole thing with um, the economy. You know, we don't hear anything about the economy, even though the economy is doing really well. Unemployment is down for for Americans. You know, I don't. Want... And but we don't hear any any. any positive things coming from the left-wing media because they're so focused on the Mueller report and the collusion and obstruction. Uh, so, but, you know, uh, companies like Ford, like Toshiba, all these companies are, are creating jobs. So, and we, we, we still have a booming economy so I, 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 I think 2020 is going to be an interesting year. Uh, we're going to see about 20 candidates. Uh, get ready. Get your popcorn ready. Get your couch ready because you're going to sit and enjoy and laugh so much. It's going to be a circus, a circus that you will not want to miss. And all these candidates Going up against Donald Trump, I think, in my opinion, I don't care if it's Joe Biden, I don't care if it's Bernie Sanders, I don't care if it's Kamala Harris or Elizabeth Warren, none of these individuals 
are going to win. All right, we'll see each other next week on Broadcasting Politics with Cisco Acosta. God bless America, and we'll see each other next week. Have a good one.